Sermon on the Mount. Treasure God as your Father in heaven, a God who loves you. Second, trust that his ways are good. His direction is good. And finally, flourish by following that way wholeheartedly. Okay? So that's sort of the big picture. Where are we today? Well, in light of where Jesus started us out, then the sort of question is, well, gee, if I don't have to do anything to be accepted by God other than hunger and thirst for righteousness, humbling myself, well then, you know, what's, what's the point? What's the point? And, and that's what Jesus sort of gets to in chapter 5, verse 13 today. He's talking to those who have given themselves to the Lord, been accepted by the Lord as his children. And he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We'll be covering more than just this text, but let's, let's spend some time here. Salt and light. Why is, God, why is God, through his son Jesus, saying... We are called to be salt and light. Well, remember, part of understanding something that was written 2,000 years ago is understanding what they would have heard. What would these crowds have heard when Jesus was talking about salt? Well, number one, they would have thought of a preservative. Okay, there's, there's no air conditioning, there's no refrigeration, and there's probably very, very little ice most of the year. So, if food is going to last, you need to save it. You need salt. Um, in fact, I'm told there was a time that salt traded pound for pound with gold. That's how valuable it was. Not all the time, but, but that's how value, valuable the ancients saw salt. So, we are to be salt. We are to be a preservative, a life-giving agent in a world that needs it. And I, I thoroughly believe that God wants us to be tangible agents of life. I think Steve Perez gave his life because he had a passion to save other people's lives. He had a God-giving longing to make other people's lives better. But I think it's more than that. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is, is not just about the physical. In fact, it's even more about the spiritual. We have the opportunity. If you have met the author of life, Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to speak life in other people's lives through, through your life, through your actions, through the way that you allow God to use your life. Because salt is a preservative, absolutely. But salt was then and is now also flavorful. It is good. It brings out the flavor, right? That's probably mostly why we use it now. Salt is a blessing. Um, but, but notice it's a pretty particular... I think Jesus was, was really wise in using this particular metaphor. 
Because uh, I don't know if you've ever shaken salt on just a really nice steak and had a bite of that steak. You're not supposed to say, wow, that's great salt, right? <laughs> that's great steak, right? You don't eat, uh, you shouldn't eat cubes of salt, right? <laughs> Probably shouldn't eat cubes of sugar either, but I've done that. Cubes of salt are not good, right? The point of salt is to bring out another flavor. And the point of our lives is to bring out the goodness of God, our Father in heaven, whose ways are wonderful, who people can flourish by following wholeheartedly. Salt is this agent that points to something else. And there's another thing about salt. It doesn't make itself salty, right? And so in Jesus' crowd, there are, there are people, uh, predominantly the Pharisees, who would have said, gee, what more can I do? What more can I do? Well, this, this illustration is sort of problematic for that. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is who we are, not, not primarily what we do. And salt is salty. That's, that's somehow the definition, maybe the chemical definition. Um, and Jesus isn't concerned about one being salty. He's actually concerned about the opposite. Notice, uh, how can it be... Uh, oh, there's, if you're doing the bulletin. There we go. Uh, our inheritance, our blessing, is to be life-giving on the one hand and to be a blessing. But notice it says, uh, if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. Well, I mean, you've probably been in cold weather. Salt is of some use if you toss it on the ground, but that's not its highest use. That's not its main use. Our... our challenge, our struggle, is not to somehow become acceptable to God, uh, become accepted to God. We are accepted unconditionally just by accepting our, our brokenness before God and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But we are to cling to our identity. We were made to be salt. We were made to be a blessing. And Jesus just brings in another picture that is so so helpful, it, it reinforces, expands those same two things. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Think about that. Light also brings life and brings blessing, right? In the big picture, you know, nothing grows. You don't eat without light being shed down. But you also can't see. You can't get to work. You can't see where things are. You don't know which way is the right way and which way is the wrong way without light. Light gives life, but it's also a tremendous blessing. And uh, I think it's worth noting that he, he first talks about a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He doesn't start out saying, you know, one candle on a hill. We were not intended to be salt and light alone. This is a privilege. This is our inheritance collectively. We get to be a great blessing. And, and, and I, I, I would encourage you, I just want to reinforce, this is a blessing. This is a privilege. Um, in fact, uh, you, you may have heard me say last week we're doing sort of a week-to-week -week blog. Um, just so you can know a few different voices at Grace and have a moment midweek to reflect on 
bits in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I asked Courtney Casper to write this, this week's blog on serving the Lord out of joy and not guilt. Because this is to be a joy. This is who we are. And, and Jesus will get into the other part a little more, but this shouldn't be sort of out of guilt. Well, I guess I have to. Being a light is a pleasure. And we get to be a light as a community, as a city. A city is a place that people have gathered for mutual blessing. And that is what we are invited into in the body of Christ. So uh, just one more plug. I brought up my bulletin. You see these groups. These groups were intended for your blessing and for others. And the small groups, not this week, but the week after that, kick off. Next week, Sunday school classes are starting all but one. One is starting a week later. Um, and I think I've, I've been in enough churches to see this sort of weird pattern that shows up where, you know, you have the small group leaders and they go to the group so often and say, I want to be a blessing, I want to be a blessing. And then you have, basically, you sort of coach everybody else, hey, come to the small group to get blessed. And, and that's true. You will be blessed when you open the Word of God with other believers, when you talk about what life looks like with other believers. But I want to challenge you. Sign up for a small group, not just because you will receive blessing, because our heritage is to be a blessing. If you're in a small group, I want to challenge you. And, and whether that's, uh, I, I don't think I mentioned the week after that, you know, women's ministry, they start up Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whatever that gathering of believers is, I think your heritage is to go to be a blessing. And I challenge the small group leaders or whatever kind of Christian leadership role you're in, yes, your goal is to be a blessing. But the Lord also wants to bless you through that Christian gathering. Because there's this paradox that we are able to be salt and light because we've received. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. We are able to reflect his glory. Because the point of light, just like the point of salt, isn't itself. Whoever turns on a lamp in their house and stares at the lamp while eating sugar, salt cubes, right? Um, no, you don't look at the lamp. The point of the lamp is to point you to something else, right? The point of the lamp is that they might see what we do and frankly forget our names, but praise our Father in heaven. Know that our Father in heaven is good, okay? Now, I think so often it's easy to, um, to escalate being salt and light to, you know, I have to be on a mountaintop in Tibet or die to be salt and light. So I want to just go back and I want to talk about some specific examples. This is a picture of Steve Perez, hopefully. Steve Perez is not salt and light because he died this week. Steve Perez was salt and light because of his life. Remember, his police chief said there were 6,500 officers. And he knew Steve Perez because he was a sweet, gentle servant. It's his life that was the blessing. 
It's our lives. It's the small things. It's the things that you would almost write off that are the things the Lord uses to make much of himself because they aren't supposed to make much of us. And so I just have a few silly little examples. Um, Harry and Jan Vanderveer. What a sweet couple. Um, I remember this spring handing my one-year-old over the gate in the children's building to Harry and Jan, who so far from needing childcare themselves, you know, are, are serving, are loving, you know, and that warm smile so that I could go and worship, so that I could go focus on being nourished by the Word of God. What a blessing. Uh, I think of Amanda Johnson on the left and Courtney Casper on the right. Uh, together, bet- one leads Wednesday, Wednesday evening buddy program for special needs kids. One leads Sunday morning buddy program for special needs kids. What a blessing. There, there are parents who have been given the privilege to pour into a child that really has a lot of needs, who we want to be salt and light to, we want to be a blessing to, we want to love and lift up. And here are these, these sweet ladies, they're more, more workers in the middle. You, you might well have been involved in that program, thank you. To me, that is what being salt and light is like. But it's not just sort of volunteering for a program, this is about your life. This is about the profound blessing of every aspect. It's almost like you can't get a long enough list to enumerate this. And so I want to I pick on the chapels. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry in advance. This family is salt and light. I want you sometime, you know, stalk them when Judd and Jen are out to dinner and listen to the way they interact with each other. We have an opportunity to be salt and light with our loved ones. There's a picture of Jen uh, teaching, right? We have an opportunity to be salt and light in our work. That's not checking off a list. That is experiencing the goodness of God and reflecting that to a world that is desperate to know the goodness of God. There's Andrew playing basketball. Well, maybe salt and light is dunking, yeah, but, uh, but in, your, in your play, in what you do, everything that you do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It is him you are serving. That's the beauty of being salt and light. Okay, so there, there are probably a few tensions there, you know, guy, how do I do that? You know, how much do I have to do? And I think that's where Jesus leads us in the sermon. Uh, Going on to verses 17 and 18. This is interesting that Jesus would go this direction. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I do not come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now this might have been a jolt then, but I think this is a big jolt to culture now. You might say, well gee, you know, our job is to be really nice, right? Don't worry about the Lord's direction, just like be nice, smile big. 
And, and the Lord is, Jesus is saying, God's commands are not burdensome. God didn't give us the law, didn't give us the prophets to make us unhappy. He gave it to us because he loves us. And Jesus didn't come to say, oh, praise God, your Bible is only a third as long now. Don't ever open up that back half, right? The point is, Jesus came to fulfill that, to show us the beauty of living out the law. Okay? And I just want to push back here a little bit. Jesus is going to actually, over the next chapter and a half, talk about this is what it means to live out the law, to live the law from your heart. But I think there's something that so often happens in Protestant circles where whether we say it or not, we sort of think, oh, gee, the purpose of the law is to show us how broken we are. Then we run to Jesus, which is true. The law does show us, hey, I am not what I'd like to be. But then we implicitly say, and that's it. I can be done with that. And beloved, that is not the message of Scripture. And so I want to push, push you here and ask you, do you see God's word? Do you see his way? When I say his ways are wonderful, do you see God's ways as truly good? Every last part of them. And that's what it says here not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. His ways are good. He is a good father. He didn't just throw in a couple of humdingers to make you miserable. Um, in fact, I might go as far as to say, I know whose voice it is that might whisper in your ear, is God's way really good? Did he really do this for your good? That's the voice of the accuser, and we are not unaware of his methods. It started in the garden, and the accuser would say, God is not really good. That's not what the Word of God says. So let's go through a few passages here. Um, Psalm 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. This is the path to blessing, to flourishing. Again, in Psalm 19, David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Is that how you see God's commands? They're intended to refresh your soul. Your father has already accepted you, and he's teaching you how to flourish through his word. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. O oh Lord, let our hearts have joy when we experience your precepts. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. Well, that's just sort of an Old Testament thing, right? Eh, not so much. Romans, here Paul says, Christ is the culmination of the law, that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. My father instructed me in what it was like to live rightly. That's my earthly father I'm talking about. How much more my heavenly father who cares for me for my good. Or let's go on to James. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. It was intended to give us freedom. To let us know what rightness was. And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. 
they will be blessed in what they do. Finishing off with the Apostle John. This is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We get the privilege of having God's word. We get the privilege of his ways, and we must fight to believe that his ways are good. So, let's move on to the second half of Jesus talking about the law. Oop, I need to go. Let's just pause there. There was one more thing I wanted to say, and it's an illustration of sort of how we see the law. Okay, so here, here's the illustration. Okay, um, this section over here, I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to imagine you're in this situation. So I want you to imagine that you are, um, <clears throat> let's say you're in a, a horse and cart, you have all your life possessions, and you're trying, you're trying to get to, I don't know, the promised land. But your horse just went up lame, okay? So that's your situation. Hold that thought. You guys over here, good news. You're in a horse and cart, but your horse is, like, really healthy. Yeah? Yeah, you knew you were the healthy horse section. Okay, you guys over here, you guys have a brand new 20, are the 2018s out yet? 2018 Jeep Wrangler, special, you can't get it on the lot, yeah, with the big old mud tires, you know, and maybe an extra, like, two inches, just, just fun, and chrome, chrome tips, okay? And you guys over here, you're going to see this picture, so you're seeing this picture, but what you need to do is you need to get to the end, right? You need to get, get to the promised line. You guys are in love. Everybody with everybody. Uh, so you're in love, and you're not trying to get anywhere, okay? You're just going to sit and enjoy what is before you. Okay, go. Hmm, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Um, <laughs> good luck with that horse and cart. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to get over those mountains. Um, by the way, beloved wife, I want to go here. Yes. But I don't want to climb those mountains. I just want to sit and enjoy the beauty that God has created. But this is the picture of the law, right? Because if your goal is to get through the law, right? You want to get through the law. I got to kind of get past that because, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get through it. It is going to be very frustrating. It's a blessing to sit and enjoy Recognize you're already accepted. You're not trying to get through. You're not trying to check off being salt and light today. This is who you are. This is the privilege of your inheritance. But I think there's something else in this illustration I'm trying to get at. Probably the people with the lame horse, and this is something I think Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, the people with the lame horse are going to be quick to say, yeah, I'm not going to scale those peaks. Probably even with your very good horse and your wooden buggy, <laughs> that ship has sailed, right? But can you see how there would be a little more? T that Jeep is really nice. Those mud tires. I mean, do you think you could get up some of that snow? Uh, there's this weird thing that happens that the people who see themselves most lowly, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the broken, because they will be quicker to abandon their own righteousness 
than those who have 2018 Jeep Wranglers. No, than those who sort of see their own skill set as so, as so good, as so apt, right? The sooner you can recognize, no, you're not getting over those mountains, the sooner you can flag God for his helicopter, right? But this is the same picture. The picture of the law is, is death to those who think they're going to find salvation in the law apart from Christ, but it's also life and blessing. And that's what I want you to see. Okay, on to the last section, verses 19 and 20. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is supposed to be jolting to Jesus' audience, right? They think the Pharisees have got it going on. Man, this is about as good as it gets. But what Jesus is saying is the Pharisees were very good at outlining the Old Testament, checking off, oh, well, I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to rest on the Sabbath. Well, resting is probably like 300 steps or less, right? I mean, literally. So they had a step count. As long as you stay under that, well, then I've rested, right? Who cares about the heart? I can count steps. Um, so this is, this is sort of the title that I would put with this section. I would say, we can't satisfy the law by checking off a list, okay? Because a list implicitly implies that this is something to be gotten through. This is not something for your blessing. Jesus really pushes back there. He says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to, it's sort of interesting that he doesn't say they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. One doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven by following these regulations. One enters the kingdom of heaven by humbling oneself and seeking rightness through the blood of Jesus Christ. But, there is a problem, there's a fundamental problem with abandoning parts of God's way. It's not just about that particular way. It's about who you believe God to be. Because remember, the whispering voice of the accuser would be God's way isn't good. If you abandon God's direction, God's loving direction, essentially what you're saying is, I don't think God actually was good in giving me that. So, the natural tendency, if you hear that, would be sort of to say, well, gee, I better be really careful. I better be really careful. In fact, I better get a list. But Jesus comes back with exactly that. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Well, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the list makers like none other. I'm told it was 630-some regulations that they'd enumerated that they thought they could follow flawlessly. Well, that is not what Jesus meant. He does want us to be inspired God, by God's word, but he doesn't want us to make a list. And if 300 steps isn't good enough, adding that the steps have to be only 20 inches long doesn't make it better that makes it worth. Christ is concerned with our heart. 
Christ is concerned with us being salt and light, not to check a box, not out of guilt, but out of the joy of belonging to Jesus Christ. And if, if you feel broken in some sense, you feel like, wow, I, I'm not who, who the Lord would have me be in every aspect. Jesus has a remedy. Blessed are those who recognize I'm not all that I could be. I'm broken. Blessed are those who mourn their brokenness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are the ones who will be filled. The Lord desires to accomplish this in us. And so I would just close with this question. What holds you back from being salt and light? This blank, I don't have the answer for. This is a fill-it-in-yourself blank in the bulletin. What is that? Is it that you have never met the author of life? That you have never given yourselves wholeheartedly? In which case I would say, the best thing, literally, in your entire life that you will experience is the goodness, the forgiveness, the freedom of Jesus Christ. Or if you've met the author of life, if you've met the light of the world, is it possible that what you have here is you have parts of his word that you haven't really believed are for your good? Have you heard his words, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot love God and money, and said, well... But we live in a different age, and everybody's got to have a cell phone, and I just, you know, life would be easier with a little more. Have you not embraced his word as truly good? Is that holding you back from being the salt and light you were invited to be? Or one other extreme. Do you have a list? Is rightness with God checking off, and it's crazy how our internal lists can get, Whatever you think it is, is rightness with God, is being salt and light, checking off these things, and not allowing God, by his Holy Spirit, to renew your heart to be salt and light. The Lord will do it. The Lord did it to begin with. He makes all things new. We only need to confess, humble ourselves, and hunger, hunger, for his goodness. What a delight that we have such a good father. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that you are good, that you know all things, that you have all power, that you care for us even as you hold the very moon and stars in place. And we pray that you would allow us to experience your loving kindness to experience your goodness, to taste and see that you are good and that you would equip us to be a profound blessing to a world that longs to know you. In Jesus' name.